0: You. Do you hate ads interrupting your podcasts? We do too. That's why we're trying to keep ads away from Hot Rods of the Sky. The best way for us to do that is for you to go to merch.hotrodspodcast.com right now and purchase some exclusive Hot Rods of the Sky merchandise. Doesn't matter if you purchase a sticker, a hoodie, or a phone case, anything you purchase goes directly back into the show and helps us fund this without you having to listen to ads that you don't care about. That link, once again, is merch.hotrodspodcast.com. Thanks so much.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Kevin. Callan.
0: And this is Katie, and you are listening to episode six of Hot Rods of the Sky. everybody, and thanks so much for listening. Um, we hope you enjoyed our last episode, which is a little bit of a brief history um, of not Lockheed but Lockheed Aircraft Company, um, and kind of how they got started, how they ended rather abruptly, and how they got started back up again. Um, in this episode, we're going to be talking about um, a very specific Lockheed Vega that I'm not sure if it's near and dear to our hearts. Maybe, m- maybe mostly Callan. He seems to know a, a lot of the history of it. But it's a really cool airplane, and it's actually a current project that's in the shop and JKE works right now. Um, it's quite the saga so far. Um, so the years we're going to cover a little bit of history of the airplane itself, and then um, the first few years of the restoration, um, and uh, f- I guess we'll start out kind of with the history of it and um, what you guys know about the airplane. Um, in this episode, I know absolutely nothing, <laughs> unlike last week. So take it away, Cal.
2: So originally, the, the number is currently 105 Whiskey. Originally, it was November 898 Echo. And it was built for independent oil and gas company. Um, uh, they had it, it was built uh, 1929, let's see the date here.
1: July fifteenth, I think.
2: Okay, yeah, July 15th. No, not all the paperwork stuff that I have says the date. It just says yeah. 1929. Well, yeah. And then it gets into numbers down there. Uh, so, yeah, so built in 29, uh, and then uh, they it was the first ever executive airplane that Lockheed ever built. So it had um, leather interior, chemical toilet, typewriting station, file cabinet, fold down a file folders what's a chemical toilet a toilet with chemicals in it
1: instead of like a like a camper toilet instead of so
0: like it instead of like well it's like just you know, a tank of, and you do, yeah, you do
1: your thing it. and then somebody has to take it out and service it later yeah so it's not like it's got some running water it
0: had a bucket in it that people could go poop in fancy fancy five oh, gallon bucket okay yeah. it was fancy with
1: and it was it was all built by lockheed with a wooden toilet seat yeah with a laminated spruce toilet seat and even a little lap, you know, to fold, fold down and you could rinse your hands and everything. Yeah, it was nice.
2: Yeah, so first ever executive airplane they built. So I think originally it was a, uh, it was a Vega 5A, yeah. but I don't remember if it was 5A executive or just a 5A. But I think it was 5A executive. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they had it built, and I ended up uh, independent oil and gas got brought into Philips at some point, um, and then it made its way into Mexico. Uh, let's, hold on, let me back up so 29 and then in 30 th- either 30 or 31 because the oil tank says july 31 on it right uh so probably around into 30 early 31 uh it went back to the factory and was converted to a 5c so at that point it had uh, a right it was built with a right engine and when it went to the factory they put a 1340 pratt whitney on it uh changed the model, which the nose got a little shorter uh, for the bigger engine, um, added one extra window, moved the door back one bay, uh, the toilet and stuff came out, another row of seats got put there, uh, the big tail was put on. Yeah, bigger fin and rudder. Bigger fin and rudder. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the, in the early... And a, th- and a cowling. In the cowling, got a neck of cowling, yeah. So it didn't have a cowling, it was just exposed cylinders uh, before that. Is
0: your name Callen because it sounds like cowling?
2: No, no.
1: No, it was a uh, driving to the, a doctor appointment, and your mother liked the the name Colin. But then we put we only wanted a K on the front, so we put a K, and it looked like colon. So I said, "No, let's take the O out and then put an A in." There you go. We just
2: made up a name.
0: Sorry for that little divergence. Just they just keep saying Cowling, and I'm like, hmm. No. Well, <laughs>
2: it's it's actually Cowling, not Cow. cowling. You know, it's a lazy way like, to say.
0: Like moo.
2: No. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cowl. Cowl. Like a cowl.
0: Oh, like a neck sweatshirt.
2: I don't know about that. Anyway <laughs> I don't wear clothes like that
0: T shirt. Right, I digress.
2: <laughs> um So, so you know, a 5C. that's a five C That's a five C. Um and then it went to uh it was it was in the was the States for a while as a kind of an airliner, I think. Uh, and then ended up in Mexico as airliner. I think um, it had
1: two different registrations while it was in Mexico. It yeah. It, the, changed hands a couple times. A bunch times, of different numbers.
2: just like XB, whatever, this, and then this one, and there's a bunch of different ones. So it was in Mexico for a few years. Um, I don't remember when it went to Mexico. I don't know if it was in the late 30s or early 40s. I, mm. think, it, it, 30s, I think in mid-30s probably. Yeah. Not long after it was converted.
1: Because it was still when Sarabia was still around and he hadn't crashed in the, in the GB yet. That's so. true. Yeah. At least that's my, my recollection of it. Somebody will correct me. Yeah, yeah. But
2: it could have been all... Who knows? Yeah, so, so it went down to Mexico. Um, I don't remember when the first time it was wrecked, but it had been wrecked a couple times before it went to Mexico. You know, minor things, but they had repairs they had done, you know, knocked the gear out or whatever. Um, and it had already had a bigger engine on it, a bigger 1340, a newer version, before it went to Mexico. So it was almost is 450 horse when it went to mexico which is the the later snap cap um down in mexico and it got wrecked and then it sat in a field broken for like eight months just there until i fixed it um and it was repaired in mexico on, we later discovered that was it was repaired in mexico by um what's his name what he... well, Serabia company? I, I forget his what, name, it, what yeah. the name of the, Francisco yeah. Sarabia and his Sorabia.
1: and his family. Yeah, they had a, bunch a of Vegas. cargo and airline business yeah. and things down there.
2: So the, the rumor is he had tooling and stuff to rebuild because he had a he had a bunch of Vegas. So they're gonna they, maintain they, their own airplanes. They
1: could make their own parts. Yeah, you know, like this pieces of the skin and whatnot. Yeah.
2: So the, the back six feet was from another airplane or. From their pieces, you know their their new parts. Uh, it's not original Lockheed yeah. parts in the back. It was definitely mismatch. Definitely mismatch. Got, got into. Yeah. It. Um, what we don't know is if it's the same tail feathers that it came out of the factory conversion with, or they're from another airplane. There's no pictures or any documentation of new tail feathers. It just says tail re- tail removed replaced from another one of these airplanes. So we yeah. just assume it's the back end. The very, it's all all from a different airplane. Which kind of jives with some of the the mismatched pieces from really later airplanes to original pieces. It's kind of a hodgepodge of stuff in the back, just in the back end. Uh, So it it came out in Mexico as an airliner. Um, And then a company in California bought it. I think it's like High high Soul or something like that. I can always think of the glue.
1: It was... uh... Yeah. Yeah, like saw
2: or something like that. saw. but something.
1: Yeah, we could look that up because it's yeah. matter yeah. of fact. Kermit owns two airplanes that were in, owned by that. This <laughs> yeah. this Lockheed and a Lockheed P thirty eight that both were owned by Hycon.
2: That's it. Hycon. Yeah. So they they bought the airplane and put the camera equipment in it, and it became an aerial survey airplane in Mexico and Southern California. So it was used to aerial survey Mexico and Southern California. Well, the West, the West, you know what I don't know how it didn't no way to know what what all it surveyed, but they were based in Southern California, so it's yeah, in there somewhere. Uh, they had it for like a year, not very long. Um, and then it was bought by a typical old airplane kind of wheeler dealer kind of guy and and then on its way to the new owners in Texas, somewhere along the way, wrecked on landing and totally ripped the gear out from the bottom of it gigantic gaping hole in the belly um i think the wing was okay it didn't look like it was damaged in the pictures yeah
1: yeah we've got some pictures of it in texas laying there in pieces with the big hole in the belly and two little kids playing in the fuselage you know making motor noises and things like that
2: so then after that wreck that's when ge bought it so they they bought it from that person but that person had some dude in Iowa or Idaho repair it. And for when he repaired it, he, they, landing gear stuff was missing. So they just kind of made what they thought would work. Um, and that's how it went to GE. Um, GE wrecked it at least twice. Pretty early on. And then almost towards the end, they wrecked it again. And they... Uh, uh, let's see... Yeah, when it, when it had, when it was fixed by the guy in Iowa, he put a World War II vintage 1340 on it, and they put about 200 pounds of lead in the back to balance it out, and then a phenolic blade propeller on the front from the GE did that. Yeah, a G, yeah, that was yeah. that was towards the end. Yeah, I guess. Um, so the G the G bought it and they used it to further develop radar in the early 50s, late 50s, early 60s. Um, because when it's a wooden airplane, there's not much more stealth than wood. So they, it's, it's pretty cool. So they, I don't know if, I guess it was towards the, in the middle of their program when they, they started doing lots of modifications. So they, they took out the aluminum gas tanks and made fiberglass gas tanks that were, I don't know, they're about a quarter inch thick and weighed about 60, 70 pounds a piece. Yeah, really heavy. Really heavy. Um,
1: that's when fiberglass was like, ooh, it ooh, was space stuff. age, yeah. you know. It yeah. was
2: like the beginning of the space age, right? Um, and then they they took just about everything metal they could get off of it and either replaced it with balsa or just left it out like fairings and a propeller. They went to a phenolic bay propeller, which is a composite propeller, um, and just about and much of the stuff they could get off of it that they could without it compromising being an airplane, they did. Um, so they use, they put test equipment in and, you know, develop radar. And then in, I think like 64, 65, uh, Dave Jameson bought it from them. And he, there were some letters in the paperwork of him looking for Vega. And he contacted the, the, he must've been like the guy for Vegas. Cause it was the same dude in Texas.
1: Oh, that's Bab. Yeah, it was. Right. I think so. I Think Bab was his name. Yeah. He was a.
2: It was the old airplane kind of. He was an
1: old airplane broker kind of yeah. guy back then. But it was the same guy that Charles Bab
2: had the the Vega when it was wrecked, and then you know again. Yeah. So it was just the guy, and he had a Vega that he told Jay Jameson that I've got one here, but I'm partnering out because it's it's rotten. You can come look at it, but it's rotten and this is wrong. But we we can fix it for you but it's rotten you know kind of yeah. thing um, so you know she passed on that one obviously and and bought this one from GE and I don't remember when it was in like winter time I don't remember when exactly when it was when they went and got it But
1: I don't know there was snow I mean there was
2: snow on the ground um, so on takeoff Dave Jameson and Paul Pope Resney was in the back and they uh, he hit a snowbank on takeoff and hit the left man the snowbank and ripped the gear out and broke the left wing tip and getting get, get tailored didn't or it was pretty much the you know, that and of course the engine and you know propeller and all that kind of stuff um so he had some local company take it apart now there's still invoices in the paperwork you know it's like a total of like 600 dollars and that's removing it from the runway disassembling it putting it on his truck and driving it from New York it's connected in New York yeah, yeah, all the way to, to was- Oshkosh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin you know it's like mid- 60s yeah. So Dave Jameson's. Yeah. yeah, $600. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And He's I, gouging me. I, I don't even remember yeah. what the airplane cost. It was like four Rand or something. It was like yeah. dirt cheap, you know, because it was just. An old airplane. Yeah. And there is a picture of it in, in the paperwork in the back. It's just in the hangar. You can just tell yeah. it's in an hangar. And he has like. He, I don't know who he was talking to, but it was either the GE guy or some friend or something. But it was in some of these letters talking about. And I walked and looked in there and it's you know it's white I could kind of see some some old trim under some old colors you know some red or whatnot Um, but it had so much dust on it like it hadn't moved in years it was just in the back corner of whatever hangar that was in that they're using stuff Uh, so bought the airplane and then about 64 to 69 he rebuilt the airplane and somewhere along the lines he decided to um, well he found out that one oh five whiskey, the end number off of Winnie Mae, the original Winnie Mae, was available. So back in the day it was letters back and forth, phone calls and all kinds of stuff to the FAA to just find if it's available and then, okay, yeah, it's available. And then again letters back and forth and checks and to get the-
0: And what was Winnie Mae? So for
2: So Winnie Mae is the it is the high has it has the most notable records and stuff for vegas it's around the world several times and a lot of speed records and and stuff and so it's high altitude high records. altitude yes wiley, wiley post wiley flew post. it
1: flew winnie may and it was construction number 122 so it's 50 newer than this one is or 40 newer than this one 50 and then it's um it was an airplane that you know, it was a corporate airplane Know for an oil company as well, and then he was a pilot and he started doing a couple of races with it here and there, and and, or or record attempts, and then um, ended up buying it, modifying the heck out of it, and set all these tremendous number of world records with the airplane. And it's one of the airplanes that made the Lockheed Vega famous, along with Amelia Earhart having flown one. Um, But it's so, it's one of the most notable Vegas, so that's probably why Jameson decided to make a, a a copy of it paint it like that one yeah pretty much yeah
2: i wish i knew how he decided to like what made him decide well let's let's do it like we i mean other obviously other, other than it's when you may it's the cool yeah. one yeah but was it that he found the in number was available first or was it the other way around like i'll just put some generic in number in the back but even right. though it because back then you could it could be the scheme with that in number all over it and have an actual N number in the back. You could get away with you it. You could get Nobody away with it. really pushing yeah. it. Especially be yeah. you're on the board of EAA. So it, it kind <laughs> of, you, know, you have some some clout somewhat.
1: Yeah, so that's how he ended but, up doing it is Winnie Mae.
2: Winnie Mae. And then it was, he flew it from about 1969, 70 to about 85. Mm-hmm. And then it was uh, in the EAA Museum from then until Kermit bought it. And registration says 92 he bought it. Uh, but it came down here in about 95. Trucked it. Trucked it down here in 95. So yeah, it hadn't flown so, since 85.
1: Yeah, from 85 on, it was kind of deemed that it wasn't airworthy anymore. It's good enough to look at in the museum, but it had some structural issues. Um, you know, skin coming loose from the wing, its plywood skin had some issues. So they opted not to fly it anymore, which is just a smart thing. But it was really a beautiful thing to see. And, you know, we, we all saw it in the museum. Um, you don't remember, but you it was there when
0: we were when well, we go through the museum back then.
1: Yeah, then um, yeah, he didn't bring it down until he had Fantasy of Flight. Yeah, it was about so it's after Hurricane Andrew in 92, messed everything up in Miami, and then he did Fantasy of Flight, and then he brought it down. And then um, he contacted, uh, Kermit contacted me one day and asked me if we w- would be interested in restoring the Vega and uh, come down and take a look at it and we went down and took a look and you know pretty much in a you know a few minutes it was like yeah we can you know we'll do that and you know his his building his hangars are huge you know i have some really big airplanes inside and the vega is a really big airplane but didn't look so big in the hangar. So you know when you're walking in there and you're looking in this big room and you go, yeah, yeah, you know, sure, we got the yes yeah.
2: next to the DC three and the B twenty, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the Sunderland, you know, yeah, you got all this the stuff deal. in there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And
1: so, uh, and then so they said, okay, great, and we'll have the guys take it apart and we'll get it up to you. So a week or so later, um, <laughs> the guys are coming up and it's it's two semi trucks, basically. Well, it was a pickup truck with a gooseneck trailer and, you know, and another truck. But in any event, it's a big load and it's two loads and the wing is you know, 40 feet long and weighs a thousand pounds. And it was pretty much all we could do to get it off the, off the uh, trailer with our small old tractor that we had at the time with the forks on it. And, um, you know, we got it unloaded and didn't break anything. And then, um, uh, just started looking at how do we handle it? You know, how do we... How do you work with big pieces like this? And then what order in which to, to, to do it? And we knew that the, you know going in, we knew that the wing had issues. So our decision was to go and look at the wing first and make sure that those issues weren't a deal breaker on the whole thing. You know, if the, if the wing was completely junk, you know, do you really want to to go all the way into it or, or just keep it as a static display airplane?
2: That's how I really knew it was, it was
1: yeah you could, you could you could you could tap the plywood and watch it wave around on the wing yeah it w- it just wasn't bonded anymore um so that's where really where we started we you know we stored the fuselage and the tail feathers put it all away got the wing all set up and we had um tom and um mr warren and doc you know john working on on there and and they opened it up and and the the plywood came off relatively easy it was because it was detached in a lot of places and what we what our plan was is to let the wing self-jig in a in a way keep the skin on one side take the skin off just the top side for example look at everything fix everything you can from the top side reskin the top now it's rigid again turn it over take the skin off the bottom side and do what you have to do from the bottom side and that way you didn't have to have tremendous fixturing and everything is it's repairing the wing is different than as they built it new at the factory at the factory they had the two main spar and the the rear spar and they put the ribs in between those and then they plywood sheeted top and bottom that section made a big long rectangular box then they added on the nose part of the airfoil the ribs and the nose plywood skin and then added on the tail so you didn't have this nine foot ten foot wide thing that you're trying to reach across and work on um they did it in stages working from the basically the middle of the wing fore and aft you know direction and then from tip to tip and then worked to the nose and to the tail and you know it's pretty ingenious way of doing it that they did it but when you're repairing one you know there's no need to take it down that far yeah. uh what we so what we did find is we were we we're pretty pleased that um there was very little if any there was just one little one or two little spots that were Maybe a little bit of decay that needed repair. We and we repaired that. Um, some loose glue joints here and there that we fixed. Changed out a bunch of the, the spanwise stringers. Um, rebuilt the the left tip again where Jameson had damaged it. Um, we rebuilt that. Made it match the shape of the original and the other wing tip. It was off a little bit. Um, let's see. We you know new aluminum gas tanks back to factory drawings um you know just that kind of stuff and we we you know that was that was a procedure we're up to that point and we're we're working on getting the plywood um that's one thing that's unique about the vega compared to most airplanes to you know that have wooded them today or or back then is the plywood is very unique the the fuselage is all made of a special skin and the the uh the wings were skinned in special plywood and it's vertical green Sitka spruce plywood. So that's not a typical plywood you can buy today, um, or but it was typical apparently in 1929 and 1932. Yeah, the um, so those.
2: yeah. before they decided they had some place to need this. Yeah, yeah, they were making plywood it.
1: Shop. So we, um, we contacted the aircraft plywood company that makes plywood that everybody uses today. And yeah, they can do it as long as we get the veneers. So between Jerome, that's there, and me, we were searching out the wood and found um, found a source for the wood. Had a deal to buy it, and then they asked if we could wait. They had a rush order and asked if we could wait a couple of months till the next batch came in. And we weren't in a big push because we still had a lot of work to do in the wing. So we said, sure, not a problem. Mm-hmm. And then a couple months later, they they hit us back and say, oh, we got wood, but you know that price we gave you before is. No good anymore. Um, it's going to be this price, and it made the plywood go from, for a four by eight sheet of three thirty seconds thick plywood, um, it went from around three hundred dollars a sheet to thirteen hundred dollars a sheet, and we needed about forty or fifty sheets of it. So that was kind of a a, a just, deal
2: breaker. Just shy of nine dollars a board foot to over twenty one dollars a board
1: foot. Yeah. This is a big jump. Yeah. So, um, we're not sure if the lumber supplier screwed up on the first offer and yeah. then wanted to fix it now. Or if they learned that who owned the airplane and thought, oh, he's got deep pockets, but whatever the deal was, uh, we said no to that. So then we went on a search to find lumber, to find some spruce that could be made into plywood. Um, contacted everybody we knew we had every every friend you know turning over rocks looking for a source because it couldn't just be skinny little boards we had to have big like squared logs cants it's called to be able to put in the veneer machine and shave off the veneers so you can't just use a bunch of the thin stuff that we had in the rafters upstairs Um, so finally we ended up to bring all this to a, a, a conclusion we ended up buying trees that were still growing in alaska uh, having those cut, squared into cans, dried, shipped to the lower 48, over to Indiana to the veneer guy, from the veneer guy down to Illinois to the plywood guy. And so from the time that the, the um, we found out that we uh, weren't going to buy the expensive lumber until we had the plywood in our hands was 16 months. And the actual manufacturing time from when, the logs got to the veneer cutter and then the plywood got to us was two weeks so there was 15 and a half months of searching out the lumber getting it getting it cut finding out what's going on you know paying for stuff ahead of time and hoping that it comes true you know all that kind of stuff and it was you know jerome at, at, at aircraft plywood that really you know was was shaking the trees literally on all that to help mm-hmm. us find some lumber but we finally got the, the plywood and then we were able to skin that first side of the wing, flip it over, do the second side, and um, while we were waiting on the on the plywood to show, we got into the tail feathers, um, checking those. And structurally, you know, so the so for the majority of the structure inside the wing is original, and still in really good shape. Um, you know, for being ninety three years old, years old, I mean it's pretty amazing. Um, and then the tail feathers, same way that most of the structure was original, or GE repaired, uh, so it was good. And it just needed, you know, you have to take the skin off of it to find out if it's what good inside. It. It might you might take know?
2: it off and it you know, the edge, the perimeter is good, but the stuff in the middle is junk. Right. But it, it wasn't that at all. Yeah. Was...
1: That, so that was really our hope for the fuselage as well. Yeah. Yeah. So we finished the wing and it's set aside. We finished the tail and it's set aside check, and they're, check, check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in varnish and pretty and, you know, look like furniture and ready to, to put fabric and paint on ailerons as well. Um, So then I think we rebuilt the landing gear and control system parts and all that kind of stuff. We started on the fuselage, tearing it down. And as we tore it down and started taking the fabric off, it was like, man, this thing is, this thing is really a hodgepodge. There's some of every, just about every kind of aircraft plywood and some non-aircraft plywood all over the making up the fuselage. Yeah. It was, it was all kinds of different things. Um, I actually went around once with, taking pictures and pointing my finger at what was original and what wasn't just so that, you know, Kermit could see yeah. what was, you know, what the patchwork was. I mean, there's literally, here's a big patch about three foot square and there'd be a small patch in the middle of that patch where <laughs> something else happened. So it, it had a really, really tough life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, as we, so the the idea there was to try to do the same thing that we did on the wing and that is take the, the skin off of half the fuselage and then, rebuild whatever is necessary, skin that half, turn it over, do the other. And the way the Vega's made is the, the skins are left and right shells, a left half and a right half, and they're identical until you glue it on and cut the windows out, the door. So you, you have, you can factor, you can make a stack of shells, and just when the guys put it on the left side or the right side, that's what it becomes. So our intent was to take off the shell off the one side, see what we have, and we took the left side off. And then that's really when we can see... A Lot of the, the sketchy repairs that were done over the years, a lot of rotten decay. I mean, it was, it was, there was such a difference in the condition of the fuselage compared to the wing. It was like there were two different airplanes, yeah. you know. It, I was, think it
0: was just such a drastic
1: difference. Um, I think the fuselage you know, when the wing is sitting there in pieces or or the the airplanes in in pieces, the wing is sitting there whole, it's still as sealed up as it was if it was flying on the airplane. The fuselage is broken into a bunch of pieces and, you know, it just is more exposed. And, um, I think that's probably some of it. And then, you know, as it had, the fuselage was really what got the damage every time it was wrecked. And so then you do this kind of you know field repair let's just get it out of the bush and get it back home and then that stays with it mm-hmm. and then those p- repairs weren't necessarily preserved really well or or sealed up with good varnish and then they that all starts to go away so even though somebody did a did a really proper structural repair but they didn't bother sealing it up and protecting it because it was just a quick fix to get it back going again then it, it rots away
2: there was some in the in the fuselage there's drain holes in the belly well, there's supposed to be drain holes in the belly. Not, uh, most of the repair, where all the rot was, was a repair that didn't get a drain hole put in the belly. So however water got into it, whatever is sitting there, water collected around the diaphragm and just ate away at the wood until it opened up and, vent, and then went to the next one back and You could and see back. the dark water lines back and the stains. And back. The belly in was, there. for yeah. a while, someplace at some point, the belly was full of water. Yeah. And it just couldn't get out. It just stayed in the bottom and just kept everything wet and it you know, rot and stuff.
1: And then it you know, the airplane, as Callum mentioned before, it was in Mexico it had been wrecked and then maybe two different airplanes scabbed together, um, different things like that and some mix mixed mash of, of fittings from late model pieces to early model Vega, the original fittings and then uh, then GE threw out a bunch of stuff, the the camera System required that those guys at high con they threw out a bunch of brackets and rerouted the cables out of the belly so the camera could go in the belly. So a lot of stuff just got discarded um, as there it was used for special jobs. And you know, again, it was just an old airplane and they're modifying it to suit their need. So That's as we, cool. yeah, so as we got into it and started digging around, it was one of those things of well, here are the three pieces of wood that we probably can reuse out of the fuselage, out of 5,000 pieces of wood okay Uh, we knew we were already planning on making new skins that was a plan you know if we're going to take the skin off and then and then um, put a new skin on after we did the repairs but what we found out is that the fuselage was dimensionally all over the place Um, it wasn't accurate to the dimensions on the drawings so if we built a skin to the prints it wouldn't fit the fuselage the way it was it was it was goofy shaped and in and out and just from all the repairs right and it, the it would have been pretty wobbly looking yeah, so or we would have been spending a bunch of time adding on wood on the old structure trying to get things right uh, it was about a half inch too short overall <laughs> which again kind of lends to the the story of it maybe being scabbed together out of two different airplanes um a lot of the major fittings were missing, and things like that. Uh, the trim system had been thrown away by GE and replaced with an electric trim systems, things of that nature. So, uh, once we once we figured all that stuff out and how bad the fuselage was, you know, that's when we had to to really look at it and make the decision on on uh, you know do we keep going or not. And um, the plan was to keep going, and um, and you know rebuild the whole airplane. It's just that uh, Kermit decided to put it on hold for a little while. And that was around late 16, mm-hmm. you know, early 17 when decided to put it on hold. And that's, that's really, you know, at that point, wing, aileron, tail feathers, control systems were all gone through and, and ready. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of now basically concentrating on the fuselage, which was a major undertaking in itself
0: it wasn't the scale of scope of project
1: you thought it was going to be. No. Well, yeah, on any of these type of things, you know, you you don't really know how bad it is till you open it up. You know, it's um it's like any kind of surgery, right? You know, you you think, you know, but once you get inside, there's there's always something else. Well, a, and a good and example. that's 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 something that we run into all the time with this with airplanes.
2: A good example of that on this project before we touched the fuselage was we did the wing tom to the tail and we got the ailerons and you're picking the ailerons up and you're moving around and like it just sounds like there's mud daubers inside like there's stuff inside it, and up. ge had rebuilt the ailerons The ailerons look gorgeous they were, yeah. they, were, they were they were even though they were mahogany they looked good everything all the wood you could see looked was new yeah and you're rolling around and it just sounds like there's a mud dauber nest rolling around here so tom drilled two big holes on either side of the drive rib where the, where where the, aileron the, mechanism, the bracket and the bracket, bracket touches yeah and that was that rib was still an original rib, and the wood was not sealed and had decayed and fallen apart. And that drive yeah. rib was disintegrating inside. Wow. And those pieces were pieces of a rib, the only original rib that was left in the rib, in the aileron. They left. They replaced everything else, but that one.
1: Because it, it, because be, they had the drive horn on. They didn't want to make it was a, it was a kind of a complicated yeah. thing. They just yeah. left
2: it alone. So had they had changed that. It was a there are brand new ailerons and we would just change the skin and put it back together and it would have been fine
1: but and we, and we cut the holes there on purpose so we said, okay well this is a we we need to check the drive horns and just make sure they're not rusty <laughs> inside the skin or something like that because it's a steel horn that bolted into the wooden aileron so we thought we can get the dirt doppers out yeah. and we can check this and then when Tom opened it up it's like oh my gosh it's <laughs> not dirt doppers, it's pieces of this rib flopping around
2: yeah. this, we're doing some of this stuff because we didn't we didn't have plywood yet so we're trying not to blow apart the aileron and well we can't do anything with it till we get plywood so we right. just let's take small holes and repair what we can and then we'll yeah. reskin it and then it turned into a yet another project yeah
1: so tom ended up building new ribs for both of those one of the drive horns was rusty and was was missing a big chunk of it and so we ended up making a little fixture and we had the drawings for that made that uh, we got the drawings for the ailerons to make sure we did all that stuff right and um, so the ailerons got rebuilt as well. but the majority of the ailerons what with, with, uh, structure was either the original stuff or GE repaired stuff and we rescaned
2: yeah. them. What, what's amazing with the, the wood so the, the plywood that we had made, the vertical grain plywood, it, it's very light. I, I think it's probably lighter than a full sheet of mahogany plywood, which is already pretty light. But it's amazing how strong it really is because I used some scrap it's of it. Stiff. It's so stiff. I used some scrap. Yeah, it was big into model airplanes at the time, had big model airplanes, and I needed a, a wide piece of wood that I could put in my, my jig to cradle so I didn't damage the fuselage. Well, I did not have any scraps of any plywood. I just, well, there's a chunk over there in the box, so I grabbed it and I tried to bend it around and no. So I threw it in the bathtub for three days. I had it submerged in the bathtub for three days. It still broke and shattered as I was. Bending it around, it wasn't soft and didn't it didn't flex. It ended up what didn't work. It was so strong. Put a piece of mahogany in there overnight, and then it was like a noodle. Yeah, because <laughs> it's just the the grain is and mahogany is it's already it's totally different. But spruce is already really strong compared to mahogany. That's mm-hmm. why it's
1: typical. Air, typical aircraft plywood is made like home plywood, where it's rotary cut. I put a log on a big machine and it has a sharp blade and it spins the log and shaves off a thin like paper, about you know about eighty pound paper kind of layer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they take those, those become the veneers and then they stack that up to make the plywood. On vertical grain, anything that's vertical grain like the, the spars and the wing and things like that, the, it's a, it's how the quarter sawn, how the log is, is cut. So all the grain in the board is, is not flat to the surface. It's across through the thickness of the board. Mm-hmm. So to make this vertical grain plywood, the reason we needed to have those special you know, thick pieces of wood was put it in the machine and work like a giant deli slicer and shaved off 40 thousandths thick or 80 thousandths thick layers of, of the wood that then later get glued together, get edge glued together to make the, all these little bands of wood get butted together and then that makes a veneer layer and then those glue up to make the plywood. So now all the grain is standing up through the thin direction of the plywood instead of laying flat on the, the big sheet surface of the plywood. So it makes a very strong and a very stiff structure and all three layers were spruce, whereas typical aircraft plywood has poplar as a filler core in the middle because it's cheaper. And so it will have mahogany top and bottom and then poplar in the middle. So the, it's a, all together, it's a stronger piece. Um, you know, can we replace it with another plywood? Yeah, we could have, but it would need to be thicker to be able to match the strengths. So it would pick up weight in the end. That's really why we didn't want to do it. Wanna do it right.
0: As it as it went along, you got the you got the wing, and you've got the ailerons and the tail feathers all done. Ooh. And then now it's finally time, let's dive into the fuselage. You know, so far so good. Had a little hiccup with the with the plywood, but you know, we're chugging along and then you open up the fuselage and it's like a it's, oh shit moment you yeah know? it's pretty it's pretty, pretty it's, bad and um so that's kind of where this section will stop a little bit of a cliffhanger but honestly you know for you guys it was a real life cliffhanger of the, oh shit and then you know let's put it on pause for a bit figure out what we're gonna do um so, yeah, we're definitely for sure going to be back with another part um, for this series because in case you weren't sure, it is not 2019 right now. Um, so there's definitely a lot um, more stuff that have happened that's been going on with the Lockheed Vega. Um, and we had somebody uh, like on our Facebook page or somebody asked, you know, have you guys ever you guys should think about doing a, a Q&A type thing. And, and usually we're just not totally sure what we're going to be covering until it happens. Um, but this one, we know that with this project, we will be doing more um, episodes on it. So if you guys have any questions or want to know more or um, you know anything you'd like to say about the Lockheed Vega project, um, feel free to email us at podcast at jkeworks.com or you can direct message us on Facebook um and we'll just kind of collect those and uh we're not really going to show off the dumb ones sorry um there is such a thing as a dumb question but uh the cool ones or the interesting ones um we'll definitely kind of i'll read out and have the guys answer it um it doesn't have to be
2: just about vague it can be any question
1: yeah that might that we might be able to use later for sure and then obviously if we make mistakes let us know
0: yeah (laughs) but yeah thanks so much for listening you guys and we will be back next week i believe next week we're going to have a special guest with us and um, we're super excited about that um so yeah thanks so much for listening